Blog Talk Radio. There's a direct relationship between having the businesses and being in prison. Go find an Asian, see how many Asians you can find in American prisons. They ain't going to be in there. But 51% of your prison will be black because you don't, blacks don't have any businesses and industries. There's a direct link. Blacks won't practice group economics. Blacks won't practice group politics. If you don't practice, you're setting yourself up. I told that five-story building. You're setting yourself to get wiped out. Understand the nature of race, which is economics. If you, if you build the first floor, it's economic. Build your businesses and your industries. Control buildings and industry, and put that pools in your money. And hold that money. And, it's a, and practice group economics <clears throat> with it. Arab and Asian money bounces 12 or 13 times for at least. Jewish money bounces 18 times. Black folk got to learn how to practice group economics. Black Americans spend every penny they get outside their own community. Then you take the money and the wealth that you get from that first floor and go to the second floor. The second floor is politics. You then take that money on the first floor and you control your politics. Black folk must quit allowing people to tell them to go out and vote. Vote for what? Nobody's going to do anything for black folk in politics. Politics is controlled by money. Major corporations who got the money. That's what controls politics. If you have no money, you have no say-so, you have no benefits coming. So you take your money and you control and you take your money on the first floor, you buy every politician on the second floor. And any politician you can't buy, you rent or lease them to get what you need. Then once you get the second floor under control with the politician, with your money, then you go to the third floor. The third floor is then is the police department and the court system. You take your money from the first floor and your politics on the second floor and you control the court system and the police department. Then the fourth floor the fourth floor then is media. You then take the money that you generate off the first floor from business and industries <clears throat> and you go after radio stations, TV stations, newspapers, and cable systems so that you can now inform and communicate with your own people. Right now, <clears throat> black folk only control less than 35 thousandths of 1% of the media in the United States. Out of 12,000 radio stations, black folk own about something like about 75 or 80. That's all. You own no cable systems. You don't have a daily newspaper. You have nothing of importance. You don't. You got about one black TV station. And you, so you can't communicate with your people. You can't inform your people. You can't do anything. You can have Rush Limbaugh and all the rest of the guys talking about racism all day long and bad-mouthing you. And O'Reilly, they can talk, call black folk all kind of names all day long. What are you going to do? You can't respond. You can't even communicate with your own people because you, you don't have an economic base. 51% of all the prisoners in the United States are black people. You know, even though you only make up 12% of the population. That's no accident. It's because you don't control the economics and the politics. And they're going to go after the weakest people they can get their hands on to incarcerate them. That's the black folk. And what are you going to do in response to them when they, when they, when they over-incarcerate you? You're going to go out and have a march, a demonstration. We're going to march. March for what? Who cares? Marching has never changed anything. If white immigrants can come to this country 50 years ago with nickels and dimes and no education and come here and pool their little nickels and dimes and no education and set up little stores, develop these stores into larger stores, develop this into an industry which creates job opportunities for whites. Since Lincoln was supposed to have freed the black man 100 years ago, and today the black man, according to the government economist, has spending power of $20 billion per year. We feel that with the black man spending $20 billion a year, not setting up any businesses, not creating any industry, not creating any job opportunities for his own kind, he's not in a moral position to point the finger today at the white man 
and tell the white man that he's discriminating against him for not giving him a job in factories that he has he himself set up. If the black man has $20 billion, and these so-called Negro leaders are such geniuses that they can integrate white restaurants and integrate white factories and integrate, force themselves into that which the white man has set up, they should use this same ingenuity to show the black people how to pool our wealth and set up something of our own. And then we won't have to force our way into his anymore. One more thing I would like to point out concerning what he said about 125th Street. We don't waste our time on 125th Street, but you can reach more people in the street who want to change than you can in the bourgeoisie society, the bourgeoisie church, and the bourgeoisie circles. We, our program is directed toward the man in the street. So we spend our time in the street, and what we do with that man, instead of trying to change the white man in your mind and make, make you accept us, we change the mind of the black man and make him accept himself. And as soon as he accepts himself, He'll solve his own problem. He won't be trying to force himself into your factory and into your bedroom and into your kitchen. Hi, folks. In this video, I'd like to talk about how to have a home with no house payments and no monthly utility bills. You may think that's not possible, but I do it, and lots of other people do it as well. I'm going to show you how it can be done, how it can be done very inexpensively, and just kind of a, give you some ideas for things that you can do that uh, society and uh, the economic powers that be don't want you to know. So stay with me for a second and let me walk you through this. First, you need some land. This is my piece of land which is under an acre, about three-fourths of an acre, and that's really all you need to take care of most of the needs you have and for running a small homestead. Now I was lucky enough to get this piece of property uh, from family. It was uh, willed to me when my father passed away. But I have also purchased small pieces of property like this for under $400. I have an acre down in uh, Arizona near Sholo, Arizona that I purchased for under $400. I have five acres near El Paso, Texas that I purchased for under $700. So it's very easy to find a piece of land if you do some looking around. eBay is a good source for finding land. Tax sales are a good source for finding land. Uh, family members may want to sell off a piece of land. Go around looking in rural areas and maybe you'll find a farmer that wants to split off a small piece of land and would gladly sell you one. You don't have to spend a lot of money on land. Okay, This is land that doesn't have utilities run to it. Uh, it doesn't have a blacktop road that runs into it or driveway. It's rough land. That's what you start with usually if you want to buy a small piece of land that you're going to homestead on. After you have your piece of land, then you're going to have to have a house. You can have a big house like most people live in, and you can pay a lot of money for it and have a mortgage and be a slave to the system for another 30 years, or you can decide if you'd like to build a smaller house like mine. Paid for with cash. This is my solar cabin. The cabin cost me $2,000 to build. That does not include the doors and windows which I salvaged off of a trailer that was being torn down. For the cabin, it cost me $2,000. It is 14 by 14. Downstairs is living area, dining area, bathroom, kitchen, 
Upstairs, I have a loft bedroom and an office. In my other videos, I take you on a complete walkthrough of this cabin, so watch those if you want to see how the cabin is uh, as large as it is and functional on the inside. Up there on my roof, you see my solar panels. That's a 350-watt solar system that provides all of my electricity needs for lights, TVs, water pumps, all miscellaneous gadget, laptop TV, run my vacuum, and everything else off of a 350-watt system. That 350-watt system cost me under $3,000. $2,000 for the cabin, $3,000 for the power system of solar electricity, and I use propane. I have a propane tank in the back of the cabin, and I have a propane furnace, fridge, stove, and on-demand water heater, and those cost me just about $200 for an entire year. And we have cold winters here, folks. Under $200 for an entire year for all of my propane. That is the only utility bill I have. I do not pay for electricity. I do not pay for water because I drilled my own water well. Before I drilled my own water well, though, I hauled water in. But drilling a water well on a piece of property is not that hard. You can either do it yourself or hire somebody to do it. So I have no monthly utility bills. I have a house that's completely paid for. And I have freedom. A freedom that you can't get when you're under the pressure of a mortgage and utility bills. I want you to take just a minute and think about what you could do with your life if you had no house payments and no utility bills. And I'm telling you, it is completely possible. I'm not going to go into any details of how to get out of the house that you're in. You're going to have to figure that out and talk to some professionals for some help that way. All I'm here to do is tell you it's completely possible. Now, some of you are looking at the cabin and saying, yeah, but I couldn't possibly live in anything that small. This cabin was designed specifically for additions to be built on any of three sides. As you can see, the cabin has no windows on any of the three sides. There is a window in the back door glass. The sides are 14 by 14. The cabin was built to have uh, shed additions built on all three sides. This cabin is 400 square feet approximately inside with 200 square foot footprint. When you add on additions, you could add on an additional 400 square feet on either side and off the back, giving you anywhere from 800 to 1,200 square feet. The great thing about building a small cabin to start out with, though, is it gives you a place to live when you build on your additions. And that way you can wait and live very cheaply without any house payments or utility bills. And then when you have the money, you can build on the additions to expand the cabin. That's very good for a single person or a young couple who don't have children because you don't need a whole lot of space to start off with. This way you can save for it, build on as you want to, have the additions, uh, have the extra room if that's what you want. Now, I live full-time in this cabin. I live by myself, but my girlfriend comes up here on the weekends, and we stay together, and let me tell you, it's perfectly comfortable. We don't feel cramped at all, and we, we'd much rather have a small place like this. It takes a lot less money to heat. It takes a lot less money to cool. It's a lot easier to clean. Uh, it's just a, a fantastic home. Now, I'm not trying to push you into building a home exactly like mine. I'm just trying to provide you with some ideas. If you wanted to come up with different ideas, a different plan, that's, that's just fine by me. But if you are interested in learning how to build a home like mine, I do have an e-book available and a printed book available called Simple Solar Homesteading. Go to www.simplesolarhomesteading.com. You can learn how to build a cabin like mine or at least get some great ideas for building your own home. Now I want to repeat. I own my land. 
I have a house that I built for under $2,000. I have a solar electric system that I have for under $3,000. I use propane, which costs me under $200 a year. I have no house payments. I have no utility bills. If you want a life like this, it is very possible. You can stop listening to the media, and you can stop being put under society's pressures to live in the type of houses that everyone tells you you have to live in. You can live very inexpensively, and you can do this at an age, at any age, whether you're older or younger. If you're younger and you start in a place like this, imagine the amount of money that you would have to retire on with no house payments, no utility bills, and freedom. Thank you for joining me, folks. Please watch the rest of my videos for more detailed information on each of the systems and a complete walkthrough of the cabin. Before I get started with this video, I just want to personally thank the brother Fred Hassan Powell of the Morale Facebook page for sharing this social political cartoon which is currently displayed in this video. I always big up brothers who are artists like him, my man Will James, Alex K. Art, Chris Miller, and others because their pictures speak volumes. They don't have to say one word because as they say, a picture is worth a thousand words. In fact, I want y'all to take a good look at this picture, which shows a brother with his hat flipped to the back, telling the bald-headed brother that he's hungry as fuck. When the brother attempts to hand him his own fishing rod so he can get some fish on his own, he gets verbally assaulted. No, nigga, I want some fish. Fuck out of here with that coon shit. Man, if you look closer, you'll see that the brother that says he's hungry got a fresh pair of Jordans on his feet. And once again, I want to thank you, Fred, for sharing that photo because it is a perfect warm-up for what I'm getting ready to bring up next. Look, last week, I had to stop past a gas station, and when I went in, I took a quick glance over to the newsstand, and I saw the Washington Post. The first thing that caught my eye was something that you normally don't see on the cover of a newspaper, which was a few straggling pants sagging brothers sitting on a stoop of a building outside. I didn't have the time to read the paper in the gas station because I had to fly, but I checked the article online when I got home, and I was just flabbergasted. I want you all to check it out for yourself in the description box. It is the December 9th edition of the Washington Post, and the front cover story is a look back at the riots which took place in Baltimore this past April following the death of Freddie Gray. The Post took the time to interview a few of the residents and get their personal take on how things have been and has any positive change comes to the streets of Baltimore after the riot. And one of the brothers that they interviewed was a young man that was out there on the streets peddling drugs from time to time, and he stated that he ended up finding out shortly after the riot that there were a few storefront apartments that were up for sale and that they were only selling for just $5,000 a piece. He then said that when he ran the idea of getting together and investing in the neighborhood past several brothers that he was out there selling drugs with on the streets, all of them told him no. And see, this goes to what brothers like myself, Sean James, and many others who are right here on YouTube have been telling y'all about this modern Negro. Okay, This Baltimore brother that was interviewed by the Washington Post 
had a great idea and the right frame of mind to purchase this storefront property while the price is extremely low. But the rest of the Negroes that are around him ended up dragging him into the quagmire of apathy that surrounds the Negro landscape. She a dude. She just hit you in your face. She a dude. That bitch good, nigga. Oh, oh. Beat our motherfucking ass. She fuck you, motherfucking nigga. Beat our motherfucking ass. That nigga can't. That nigga hurt himself. You from New State. It's over. It's over. Look, the main spot that this brother was looking to purchase had five rooms between both of the upstairs levels, and it just needed a little bit of furnishing. These spots could have easily been rented out to tenants or used as cheap housing by family and friends that could have worked a legitimate business out of that storefront. The Negro just don't get it. Because the more legitimate storefronts, strip mall shops, apartments, and tenements you own would lessen the police targeting you. Because then you could do what the foreigners and white folks that own these places do, which is hire the police to work security at your properties and places of business. Why do you think they don't go upside the heads of these foreigners? Because they step to the police officers and let them know that they have work for them. These foreigners and white folks that own and run these storefronts hire the cops, and if they don't pay them with cash, they give them free merchandise and meals on the house, so they in turn look out for them. And half these cops do moonlighting security at these places, even when they are on duty, because all they got to do most of the time is just drive through with a squad car or do a quick foot patrol right near the business or apartment housing units that are being rented out. This is why they don't give the Chan family or any Chinese youngster any problems when they see them in the hood by their dry cleaners. This is why they don't bother Mr. or Mrs. Akbar or any Arab kids that they see near the gas stations they own. This is why they don't mess with Miss Yee or any of her grandkids that are close to the nail salon she owns. Because they take a small percentage of the proceeds and pad the local policeman's pockets. And see, your typical foolish Negro that would challenge what I just told you will say, well, see, you insinuating that we got to bribe the police for them to stop brutalizing us. But they, like most, don't know anything about capitalism. It is a game of economic musical chairs. I just gave you the analogy when I mentioned all the foreign families that own all the storefronts, strip malls, and rental properties. Who is the only one who is left standing up with no businesses or property to speak of when the music is done playing and the cops roll through the neighborhood? That's us, yapping back and forth when the music stops and they tell our loitering asses to get moving or catch a bruising. That's us, walking around with sagging pants and glow-in-the-dark fluorescent color wigs like this sister that you see right here tossing rocks during the riot last April. Now, she's throwing rocks and expressing her anger and frustration, but she has a fresh weave on top of her head, which helped pay some of the officers that broke Freddie Gray's back. So who is the sellout and coon, black folks? And think about it. If you own some of those storefronts and control the flow of unlaundered, legitimate-made currency that comes through those areas, you can do your illegal dirt all day long without that much harassment from the local authorities. You might draw attention from a few alphabet gang organizations like the DEA, FBI, and others, 
But the local guys aren't going to pay that much attention because you're helping them pay bills and you're putting food in their stomach. And since I brought up the subject of illegal activity and you pan-sagging clowns love to talk about how gangster you are, why don't you do what some of the Irish, Italian, Jewish, and Polish immigrants your dumbass keeps trying to emulate did by legitimizing some of your hustles and using the same police force that chases you around the neighborhood as a shield. See, most Negroes will try to tell you that we are always at the end of a nightstick or baton or getting showered with bullets just because we are black. But ask yourself a question. Why aren't that many Ethiopians and West Africans getting mollywhopped and punished to the extent that many so-called African Americans are in the U.S.? Remember, they're just as black and sometimes way darker than us. But why are there fewer cases of them being brutalized and killed by the police, like we saw with Amadou Diallo or Abner Louima, both of which took place in New York? Why so few cases compared to us so-called Afro-Americans? It's because they're smart enough to own businesses, restaurants, furniture stores, parking lots, etc., and pay the cops to look the other way so their fellow countrymen aren't harmed in any way. That's the logical thing to do. But you can't tell this Negro from America that because you're still living off the backwards principle and creed of entitlement, which these liberals drafted up for us long ago. Instead of assessing this situation from a global perspective and seeing that everyone else seems to be purchasing everything around us so they can live comfortable lives and keep us at a position of marginalization as opposed to putting themselves in that boat, the Negro man and woman in the U.S. will counter it by saying, See, I object because my tax dollars pay for the police not to harass me. No, they don't, you imbecile especially after Uncle Sam rapes their paycheck just like he rapes everybody else's. Now, your pro-whack movement pseudo-black nationalist leaders will call me a coon for telling you this, but this is something that they know firsthand. They also know that you more than likely won't view this phenomenon from all angles because you're still under the influence of the can't-we-all-just-get-along-flavored Kool-Aid most black folks drank after the post-civil rights movement era, thinking that all the bigotry-enhanced physical assaults and beatdowns we took during chattel slavery and Jim Crow had an exclusive cutoff date to them which is why every single year one of these highly publicized police brutality incidents takes place. There's some dumb Negro that says, I don't believe that in 2087 this is still happening to black people. Yeah, it is. And it's going to keep on happening in 2088 if you don't adopt a different way of thinking, dummy. Your pseudo-black nationalists won't tell you that you are mostly to blame for this continually happening because they want you to keep feeling sorry for yourself and attend more lectures and debates where they argue over whether or not a woman is God or which master teacher's philosophy is better to follow. But I'm here to tell you right now, black folks, that we don't need to attend a gazillion seminars travel with a million other jugheads to commemorate the anniversary of a march that never led to mass black improvement, or study the teachings of some philosophical doctor with 10 degrees to find a solution to our problem. This brilliant brother from Baltimore that was interviewed in the December 9th edition of the Washington Post, who more than likely didn't even finish high school, just gave us the answer. And if you're wondering why I titled this thing Ballin' on Baltic Avenue, I did so as a way of saluting one of my grandfathers. See, long ago when I was a very little boy, 
he taught me how to play Monopoly. I was about seven years old, and I was all geeked up racing around the board to buy Boardwalk and Park Place. And he said, go right on ahead. He let me do it and said, I'll just buy a Baltic, Mediterranean, Oriental, and all these other properties that you aren't even thinking about. So as the game went on, and I only owned Boardwalk, Park Place, and Pacific, I think, he had all the other properties, the railroads, the waterworks, the electric company, and a whole bunch of hotels and houses on all of them while I was looking silly. And I ended up having to sell what I owned and wait for that $200 paycheck once I passed go. Once it finally set in that I lost the game, he chuckled and told me, son, you got to own what's in the ghetto before you walk around the block. And that lesson that my grandfather Dave, rest his soul, taught me still applies to this very day. Ownership is a universal language, no matter what culture or ethnicity you come from, because it regulates the sort of relationship you're going to have with most of the people around you. If white immigrants can come to this country 50 years ago with nickels and dimes and no education and come here and pool their little nickels and dimes and no education and set up little stores, develop these stores into larger stores, develop this into an industry which creates job opportunities for whites. Since Lincoln was supposed to have freed the black man 100 years ago, and today the black man, according to the government economist, has spending power of $20 billion per year. We feel that with the black man spending $20 billion a year, not setting up any businesses, not creating any industry, not creating any job opportunities for his own kind, he's not in a moral position to point the finger today at the white man and tell the white man that he's discriminating against him for not giving him a job in factories that he, has, he himself set up. If the black man has $20 billion, and these so-called Negro leaders are such geniuses that they can integrate white restaurants and integrate white factories and integrate, force themselves into that which the white man has set up, they should use this same ingenuity to show the black people how to pool our wealth and set up something of our own. And then we won't have to force our way into his anymore. One more thing I would like to point out concerning what he said about 125th Street. We don't waste our time on 125th Street, but you can reach more people in the street who want to change than you can in the bourgeoisie society, the bourgeoisie church, and the bourgeoisie circles. We, our program is directed toward the man in the street. So we spend our time in the street, and what we do with that man, instead of trying to change the white man in your mind and make, make you accept us, we change the mind of the black man and make him accept himself. And as soon as he accepts himself, He'll solve his own problem. He won't be trying to force himself into your factory and into your bedroom and into your kitchen. All right. Today's podcast is titled Homeschool Assignment, Build Tiny Houses. And essentially, um, for those who are homeschooling their children, uh, for those who might not be homeschooling their children, um, they could be in public school, private school. Uh, you can set it up as an after, what do you call those things, after after school project, Saturday school, a weekend school project where you're teaching 
um, people, they don't have to be children, how to build their own shelter. Because you've got a large baby boomer uh, population out there right now that needs um, to learn these basic skills. Matter of fact, our school, now because we, we have a more accurate meaning uh, or name for our, our school, Jake Rector Energy Precademy. Before we called it Jake Rector Energy Academy, what we're operating as is a Pracademy. And you probably only will find one of those um, the way we do it. It's an Energy Pracademy. Essentially, a, um, a Pracademy is a school that operates off of pragmatism, not theory. We look at what's practical in your life, like shelter, and instead of, I mean, instead of a paper test, you know, for instance, I gave this example yesterday. If you have, in a classroom setting, traditional classroom setting, which is passive, you know, you read books, you study, you take a Pencil paper test these days you can do it on a on a on a computer. All right. And you know, you can pass that test, but a lot of people who pass those academic tests and honor students and when they come out into the real world, they can't pass the real world test. For instance, if you have a housing problem, maybe it's affordability, maybe you're facing eviction, foreclosure, maybe you're homeless, um, those are all tests. So with a pre-academy, what we do is we basically take real-world tests. It could be building a house without bank financing and essentially train you because in, in our classroom is the real outside to a very high degree. Um, as far as that stuff goes, we'll break that all down for you as, as we go. But anyway, Jake Rector Energy Per Academy. And Jake Rector, what's that name? Where did you get that name from? Uh, it's That name is a combination of two people's names. The first person is um, Jake Simmons Jr. and Jake Simmons Jr. was a oil tycoon from um, Muskogee County, Oklahoma. A black oil tycoon. And you don't hear you don't hear too much about black oil tycoons, black oil barons. But uh, he was a black oil baron. Um out of Muskogee uh, County, Oklahoma, which is where we're headquartered. And uh, the second and the other name uh, that we fused in there was uh, Sarah Rector, just thus Jake Rector. Sarah Rector was born and raised in Taft, Oklahoma. Now, that is specifically where we're headquartered, Taft, Oklahoma, which is a black 
Township. The historical black township is over 100 years old. And Sarah Rector's house, her that she grew up in, is still in Taft, and somebody is living in that house. I don't know if, you know, next time I'm in Taft, I think I'm going to go knock on the door um, and find out if some blood relatives still might be in that house. But somebody does live in the house, though. So her house is still standing and in good shape. Her childhood. And uh, Sarah Rector was an oil tycoon, too, oil baron as well. Uh, she became, I think, at 12, 13, 14, somewhere around there. She became the wealthiest uh, black female on the planet when she was living. The uh, uh, Yeah, the youngest and the only black female, well, not the only one, but the youngest black one, female on the planet, she was an oil baron, too. And you can, actually, you can say she got it through reparations. Uh, the and you can go online and look up Sarah Rector and see it, see what she looked like when she was a young girl. Uh, Native Americans, uh, black and Native Americans, at least in this neck of woods out in Oklahoma territory, they were given uh, anywhere from eighty to I don't know one hundred and sixty acres of land. And she was one of the people that received this. And on her land, there was oil. So Taft, Oklahoma is in Muskogee County. So both of these these oil barons, black oil barons, um, are from Muskogee County. That's where we, we're set up at Muskogee County. We'll be there next month. Uh, to set up our first one-room schoolhouse. Uh, And the name, Jake Rector Energy Academy. The reason why energy is in there because uh, we'll be teaching a lot about renewable energy and combining it into households. Anyway, so that's that on that. Um, And uh, we will have uh, programs where... um, People of any age can be homeschooled in how to build their own house without bank finance. And that's why I play that particular clip so much. 773, your mic is open. Good morning. Real World Good. Education. I'll write some books about yeah, that. One. Real World, yeah. yeah. That's what we're calling it, a precademy. Yeah, Real World Education. And that's that's what we've been missing for five hundred years. We gotta do that yep. one with the title of the book with the title of the book Real World Education. So right you know, down, it, 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 that's really the the missing in my opinion, the, that's the missing link. Because like I said, when you look at a person who might you know, honor student that graduated from an Ivy League school and they're living at the Salvation Army or homeless, something's wrong with that picture. Yes, sir. Yeah, something's wrong with that picture. Um, they don't have a, it, it, it all boils down to education. Yeah, I, I've, I've always said, academically smart doesn't mean that you got good sense. 
But real right. world education give you academic smarts and the rest of the good sense that you need, that you can use on a daily basis. Real world education. I'm writing that down so you don't forget it and I don't forget it. Because right. we got to write, write a book with that. Real title. world education in real time. At real time. Those two, those two books can start, you can put those in the library and uh, online. So, man, that's that's a real, that's a course to take from for everybody, not just for youngsters. Everybody needs to take that. Yeah, 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 exactly, for everybody. For the youngsters, so yeah. they won't get caught in a position like that, because basically uh, three things. Um, building your own house or having help in building your own house without bank financing, growing your own food, at least some of it, not all of it, and transportation. Those are three fundamentals no matter what, no matter what profession that a person, you want to be a doctor, lawyer, Indian chief, basketball player, whatever profession that you're interested in, those are the three fundamentals. That's right. At any, right. at, at any time in the world, it could be 2018 or it could be 2018 BC. <laughs> okay, um, those are the three fundamentals of being on. Matter of fact, in the solar system, those are the three fundamentals, and for some reason, those are not mandatorily taught in in. Um, in your mainstream school system. So I, I don't know what that's about, but anyway. Well, you know, I, I think all of that ties into having a cap, uh, having, uh, having a vested interest in living in a capitalistic system. All of that stuff ties together, and the real-world education is going to address all of it. Right. All of that ties together, every bit of it. And you know you you are you own something now. You are really own something. So that this life, this one school, this one school uh, uh, schoolhouse, will be one of a kind. You, I don't care how many libraries we've got in the country. When you put that one room schoolhouse together with all of those books in it like that, it's going to light up the wilderness. Believe me. That's going to bring us out of the darkness, those that want to learn. Those that don't want to learn and want to stay. You can even even create, actually, uh, an industry. But one thing that came to me over the last few days, any idea, basically, can be developed into an industry. Yes. Yeah, any idea. Well, like like the young man, I got to send you some snow because I know you're used to this. (laughs) Like (laughs) the young man, (laughs) like the young man that's shoveling snow for the five houses that I block for the block that I live on. He's shoveling snow for five houses, and I'm trying. He's he's got his own industry. His own industry because he takes care of grass, he takes care of snow, and he does some painting and a little small maintenance when it's not heavy stuff because he, he's uh, a little impaired about his education, his understanding, 
for that industry, we talk, when we talk about the homeless, this young man's not homeless because he makes money even when it snows, every day except when it rains. He's making money. He's out doing something. But it's an industry for one of the houses or the other. Then we tell him to come back, and it's an industry for him because he doesn't have any academic smarts that we sent him to school for. He just doesn't mm-hmm. have it. And he can't explain himself when he's talking. So, you know, you got to kind of listen to him and then repeat what he's saying, and then you bow his yes, yes. And, you know, if we don't build the industry for our people, who's going to do it? Yeah, that's, that's why I played that. Uh, that's why I played that Michael Max audio. Because, yeah. like, like you see, so you start off with see, any any idea, and you start small, and then you you know you grow that, and um, I mean let, let's let's take something like uh, a vegetable garden. You take a vegetable right. garden to grow just to feed yourself now. And usually, people grow. Well, let's take tomatoes. You grow your tomato crop comes in, and you got more tomatoes that you and your family need. So you can open up a farmers market by selling off the extra tomatoes that you and your family do, will not use. All right, have a business that way, and then that then you can expand that to another location, but then. Within that, you know, transportation costs. Well, you can you can create uh, um, jobs and transportation just so you can have your tomatoes go from one location to the other one. And you know, then the incidentals, you know, like the uh, the containers you sell uh, to, uh, to tomatoes in. Uh, then some of those tomatoes can be made in tomato uh, sauce or paste. Um, you can do show. I mean, it, it's only limited to your imagination, but it all starts with just one little idea. And like I said, we all have ideas, and that one idea, if you harness it, can basically create an industry that you won't have to worry about money again. That's right. You know, you you brought something to my mind. He the ground that we grow our little garden on, he he breaks it up every year. Every year. And uh we plant my wife does, she because she likes gardening. And uh she plants the garden to put tomatoes, uh, I don't know what all that grow out there. But anyway, the stuff that we she grows and we don't use, she gives it to him. And when she gives it to him, he takes it, puts in a little basket, go down the street and sell it. That's a little extra money for him. Right. He takes, and, if you, and I think four of the houses, three or four of the houses, these ladies got gardens that he actually breaks up the ground to plant. And they get they do what we do. They give him the little uh, overplush uh, of what they're raising that they don't use, and he takes it and sells it. Because I got a lot. I've got a fifth to buy. 50 by 100 foot lot here, 175 foot lot that I own next to my house. Uh-huh. And uh, he takes care of all that. He takes care of all of it. 
and my wife and within that lot's got a little garden that she that he breaks up and plants, and he makes some extra money because that's his that's his gardening industry, mm-hmm. along with his snow shoveling industry, along with his well uh, every everything that he does really. He makes the money because we have created an opportunity trying to get the best of us when we have a little meeting, on a monthly meeting after the one that's over. I'm going to get the rest of them to create an uh, investment fund for him so that when he gets old, he'll have an income. And it won't, it won't the little investment fund uh, that we create for him won't cost us over $5 a month each. Right. So we'll put that in an investment fund for him. And when he gets older, where he can't work and don't work, He'll have an, we'll have a little income. And not only that, he'll have some money where he can pass it on to whomever is in his family that needs some help. We'll show him how to do a will and a, and a trust. Or we'll do the will and trust for him. So, okay. you know, this, this thing is, is really off the chain. It's really his. You, yeah, those those are videos that you're playing, it really wakes people up. It's those that want to be woke up. But those that want to be woke up and they're greedy and stupid, you're not going to wake them up and hit them over here and slow them. Well, that's because true. They're, yeah, because their greed and stupidity won't allow them to wake up because they're brainwashed. Just like the lady was talking about when she was on the air for the Army. If you are brainwashed, you will be a destructive person. And not a producing person. That's that's just the way they all roll. Yeah, that that's true, and that uh, yeah, you're not gonna wake everybody up. You know, you know um, something else that come something else come to mind when you were playing that tape from playing it from Malcolm X. I was born and raised in the country. We didn't have any homeless people that I know of that was walking around the community. In the county. What was that? On top of it, when I came to Chicago, I found out that the first open-heart surgery, which I've just had, this man performed the first open-heart surgery on a black on the on the black man. He was the one okay. with open heart on the map. Yeah, you know what, I forgot his name, but yeah, the first open-heart surgery was performed by a black surgeon. Yeah. Or a heart transplant or something like that. Right. Not only that, a friend of mine from Pine Bluff, Arkansas, after he died, uh, took over the hospital where he did the open-heart surgery. He went to A.M.M. College, Mr. Harris. In, in Arkansas, he took over the, the uh, hospital and ran it until he got too old to run it. We've been the creators and just gave it away for years, years and years and years, but not anymore because we're going to keep doing what we're doing with social media so that we can edu- re-educate our people. I've, saying, I've said it many, many times, the brainwashed, brainwashed, brainwashed. We have to create our own. We have to have our own vested interests. 
And the vested interest doesn't take that much. Just doesn't take that much. You you can uh, you can have a deposit of five dollars a month and and uh, grow you some money. I call it growth of money. And with that, and if you go to the Bible, you're a Bible student. You want to go to Ecclesiastes ten nineteen, and it says right there clearly. Ten nineteen Ecclesiastes nineteen says money answers all things. The only scripture in the Bible says money answers all things. If you're a religious person and you don't believe it does, then why are you reading the Bible? Why are you using money? Why are you giving the church money? As a man said, uh, that white Jesus money is what put your ass on the street. <laughs> That's the reason why we organize the people over our own financial institutions so that we can teach what we are preaching. Teach what we are teaching. That's the only way we won't get out of this mess, because marching, protesting, complaining is not going to cut the mustard. Right. You're absolutely right. Matter of fact, there's a, you said something that, you know what, I want to look up a statistic uh, on what the minimum, what the poverty level is in the United States. Matter of fact, let me play um, a quick audio for about two minutes. Um, I'm going to look up. I'm going to show somebody the power of an idea based on the minimum, what the poverty level is in the United States. I'm going to play this two-minute clip, and we'll be back. I just have to look up the stat. Go ahead. He didn't do Do you want me to give this to Dusty? No, sweetheart, that's not necessary. Please go take his teacher to me. I want to see if you're helping take up some of this. Well, this kind of reminds me of Hercules. Remember the Greek myth? Hercules had 12 labors to perform. One of them was a bigger list than this. Do you remember what he had to do? What did he have to do? Orgy and stables. Can you say that? Orgy and stables. All right. I want to hear some things, please. Sit down, children. Sit down. Thank you so much for helping me. All right, darling. Thanks so much. All right, Eddie. How about you going first? Why do people keep ripping up our class? Your children. Your children have been doing wonderfully well. And I guess I've been sharing my pride with the wrong people at the wrong time. People get jealous. But we will never let others stop us from what? Learning. Learning. Right, so let's have your feet. Listen, Peach. Whoever messed up my dad wants to upset us. It's up to us to decide whether we're going to let them or not. I'm quitting. Or running to Mr. Duffy or even crying isn't going to change a thing. Quitting 
did not build the Sears Tower, nor did it write the Magna Carta. Children, you must remember that when you enter the workforce, nobody's going to care that they broke into your teacher's room or whether or not you had sheets to sleep on when you were little or whether you grew up in the ghetto. The only thing your boss is going to care about is what? Whether you can, can. or can. That's right. So, who is the most important child in this world? I am. And what is the most important time? No. Now. And I don't want you to waste either one of them. So, let's have you been. Okay, that's a little short clip from the um, film um, movie about uh, Marva Collins. Marva Collins, uh, we had her son, or one of her sons, Marva Collins had three children. Uh, and um, Patrick, her son Patrick, who was a headmaster uh, or principal, principal is a headmaster. At one of the uh, Marva Collins schools, uh, he was on here with a couple of weeks ago, a couple of Fridays ago. Well, a couple of weeks ago. I, I forget if it was Friday or not. Uh, but anyway, that, you can catch that movie, The Marva Collins Story. You can watch it on, uh, what do you call it, YouTube for Absolutely Free. Now, while we played that clip, I was looking up the um, the poverty line in the United States, and that's a little bit over $11,000. So if we, if you, and like I say, everybody's got an idea, you take $11,000 and basically develop an industry out of it where you're able to produce widgets, okay, of $11,000. But you do that, let's say, 10,000 times, that's like $110 million, all right? Donald Trump's father, his so-called widget was he built bread and butter homes for 3,900. He had two types. Three, uh, well, he did apartments too, but the, the bread and butter homes he built, uh, the, the higher-end home back during his day, it wasn't really high, and it was a bread and butter home. He sold them for thirty nine hundred dollars. I think thirty nine ninety. Thirty nine ninety. Now he did that over twenty seven thousand times. I'm gonna just stop at twenty seven thousand times. That's over one hundred and seven million dollars. You know, and that that it turned into billions. Donald Trump, his son, because that was Fred C. Trump. Fred C. Trump was the father of Donald Trump. All right. Um, Donald Trump, because a lot of people said, you know, well, his father was a millionaire. Donald Trump basically duplicated the same ideas as his father, but he did it on the polar opposite end of the, the economic scale. His father built bread and butter homes, bread and butter cookie cutter homes, and like I say, he sold them 
you know, for like thirty nine ninety, less than four thousand dollars. Donald Trump and what he did. Now, the key is Fred Trump built the houses. He was a producer of houses. He didn't buy. He built and sold. Donald Trump did the same thing, but he did it with hotel rooms. He built hotels and office suites too, but all in one building. But he he built, he didn't buy hotels. He built them and God knows how many hotel rooms this guy has. All right. So, but the thing is, if you do anything 2,000 times, 10,000 times, 27,000 times, okay, it gets something simple. Donald Trump, hotel rooms. Anybody within the sound of my voice can own a hotel, a little, a, a little motel, a little motel, because you have these Indians, uh, or once again, going back to the Malcolm X clip, you have these foreigners that come in, and they buy these little motels. Um, get rid of the roaches. Some of them get a brand name hotel. Some of them keep them as, you know, just a basic budget motel. But they get these motels. And basically, anybody can do that. All right. Like Malcolm said, save their pennies and get yourself a motel. Now, from that point on, like I said, you can you can use that to stair step your way into I mean as many as you want. And as you do that as you grow, you're you're creating excuse me, industry. Oh wait a minute, let me get back to my studio. Okay, wait a minute. Let me add some time on to this. Uh Okay, where we at now? Okay, I had to add some time on. So essentially, if uh, Malcolm Gladwell in this book says, look, if you do anything 10,000 times, you're going to be within a world class, whatever you're going to, what you're doing. The examples that he gave and there's a book called Outliers. I highly recommend that book. You can download it to your phone or whatever device that you want. Go get a hard copy at a bookstore. Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. He points out that your world-class, any profession, you look at a, one example that he gave. Michael Jordan was cut from his high school basketball team in 10th grade. Cut. We know the rest of his story. Malcolm, but Michael Jordan put in at least 10,000 hours working at his craft. And now he's an industry because, you know, he's got this sportswear thing with Nike. Uh, Nike. The Beatles is another example that Gladwell gives in the book Outliers. The Beatles, before they became well-known, is they spent a lot of time playing nightclubs, nightclubs and basements where there weren't that many people. It was very crowded. Uh, they did a lot of uh, work over in Hamburg, or Germany, rather, just not Hamburg, Germany. 
Uh, they did a lot of clubs uh, in various places in England and other places in Europe. This is way before. They probably put in 10,000 hours of playing time as a band before they came over to the uh, United States on the Ed Sullivan Show. Another example of um, this would be um, that people remember the, um, oh, man, was it the 1972 Olympics where the uh, United States lost against the Soviet Union, lost against Russia, first time the United States basketball team ever lost a game in Olympic play. And uh, it's, it's a controversial game to this day. But people need to learn the backstory of that game. The backstory is that the U.S. Olympic team had only been together for maybe about a month or so, maybe two months out, three months out max before they played in the Olympics. But the team that beat them had been together for over 400 games. Same team. 400 games. So, like I say, just go back and start a business, or if you got one, just keep on growing it. And, uh, you know, it'll, it'll... you know, particularly when you get 1,000, 2,000, 10,000, whatever. You know, look at McDonald's. McDonald's has a regular old hamburger that basically anybody within the side of Mountain Woods can cook a better hamburger at home. What's the difference between McDonald's bank account and your bank account is they do it several hundred times. There's something simple and just keep on doing it over and over and over and over again. Uh, anyway, and then with McDonald's, I mean, they got, you know, that goes from farming to trucking to uh, distribution, um, all that from kicking a simple little hamburger. Anybody can do the same thing with any idea. Plus, any closing statements for today? Yeah, I, I just wanted to bring to the, to the attention of Michael Jackson. He did the same thing because I went to yep. his first performance in the city of Chicago, the Jackson Five, when that happened. And uh, Prince, uh, he did his by himself. So those are, and Michael Jackson was the richest black man in America, in the world, as far as I know. Because he, when you said uh, he got cut, he got taken away because of his performance from the Jackson Five and started doing it by himself. Right. So it, just keep doing it over and over again, and you can be successful. That's what yep, this I'm, young I'm man does. about an Al Gore with those quilts. You know, you... you Figure out a way to sell them. Uh, got a th- and she had a thousand outlets. That's that's a lot of that's a lot of money coming in. Yes, sir. Well, look at look at what look at what I've uh, I've uh, influenced uh, Elzora to do with uh, with her industry. She makes quilts and curtains and stuff of that nature, 
and she got room full of quilts and curtains that she's made on the internet. And you can buy the product right off the internet. When right. that thing takes hold and starts selling, she's not gonna be able to keep up with her customer base. Because she's gonna have to open up a larger quilting industry. Because she's right. got her, her she's got her people down where you are. They are also making quilts. So she's got two outlets of quilts being made today. That's it. I influenced her to get started in 2013. And she's one of my members that took heed and went to work. Yep. I've got, yep. I, I taught all of my kids to be, to have a vested interest. They said, well, what do you mean, Dad? I said, you got to have a vested interest. You got to go into business. So my baby girl went to college. And she became a registered nurse. But she uh-huh. works for some, because we haven't built the institutions as to where she can have. Now she's turning her head and saying, when are we going to start working on building a hospital or a clinic or something that uh, we can hire people in? I said, well, let's get started. This is 2018. You keep, getting, you keep putting it off, you'll be old as I am, and you won't be able to start any of that. So I'm assuming that she's going to get started on uh, make uh, coming up with an idea of uh, doing a in uh, some kind of industry in the, in the medicine field. Yeah, that's uh, that, yeah, that, that's yeah, that health and wellness is a big field. Yeah, I got a, really I got weird. another group that's in college to be a pharmacist. After he saw the money that was being created, have to come into the hospital to see me land and with my chest open. He says, I'm going I'm to go into the uh, pharmacy business where I can supply the pills and the medication. He said, I'm going to own my own. I said, now you're talking. Right. Now his right. mother's in college. That same boy's mother's in college. She's going back to college so that she can work with him in the in, in that in that field. In that industry, but she'll be finishing. I think in September this year. You okay. don't do it. You don't do it over and over and over again. You're not. And I'm just thankful that I'm still on the planet, so I can influence them as to how to have a vested interest in a capitalistic system. That's what it really boils down to. You've got to have it, and if you don't have it, you're gonna always be working for somebody else. So let's and get started. True. All right. Well, it that's it for this, this today and this week. We'll be back Monday. Uh, and everybody have a good rest of the weekend. 